Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Okay, so uh, I know I've been gone for a few weeks. I'm Rob, just to re reintroduce myself to you. And, and um, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of me delivering a message, we're actually going to take a test on what the video you just saw was, because I'm sure you can all explain it right and draw the picture. Let's pass the pieces of paper out and get something else to write with. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I, I, um, I actually I had not seen that video, uh, but here we are today on, on Trinity Sunday and trying to figure out this complex <clears throat> truth of which Christians confess, but yet does it mean that much that I can understand and draw the picture or not? You know, I, I think there's a lot of questions with regards to the Trinity, and, and so what I've decided to do today is just take a couple just a couple things for us to take a look at, and, and maybe we can glean one or two thoughts, one or two things that you can take out of here today into your own life, okay? Because I think this, this idea, more than an idea, this, this God of ours who is triune, that is three, but yet one God in so many ways is very compelling and informative for us. So I hope that through today, this morning, you might have just, just even just kind of one takeaway that you didn't have coming in here today. The first thing we're going to start with, though, is that part of this confession that we have a triune God, I know we're sitting here today on June, what is it, 11th, I think, um, here in Houston, here at Oikos, and we're worshiping and having a great time, but you realize that this idea the triune God is something that exists from the very, very beginning, and it moves through all of history. I mean, on some level, it's outside of history, but we're not going to get overly theological. I, actually, I thought about bringing all my, my uh, books from seminary that discuss the Trinity, but the stack probably would have been too high. So there's been centuries and centuries of people trying to discuss and understand all of this. But from the very beginning within the Christian church. That is to say, after Christ came, died, rose again, and the Spirit, if you think about Acts, the Spirit went out, and so the Christian church was set in place, set in motion. There began to be, in those first hundred years, say 100, 200, 300 A.D., after Christ was born, struggles. There, there began to be competing narratives, that is to say. Okay, so part of, one piece of what we celebrate as the church are creeds or confessions. And in fact, the earliest one of these, the Nicene Creed, which don't worry, we're not going to recite that, or the Athanasian Creed today, which are both pretty long. The Nicene Creed actually was developed in the 300s by a council to say that this is what it means to be Christian over and against other gods, other religions in their day. So by virtue of doing that, what are they going to say? They're going to talk about what the triune God is. So you have what we call the first article, and that's about God the Father. And what do we believe about God the Father, who he is and what he's revealed himself to be? You have the second article, that is about Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ and what do we believe about him to be true over and against these other religions? And then the third article is about the Holy Spirit. And so you have this this confession, this proclamation that the church begins to practice and say, this, you put the post in the ground, you say, this is what we believe to be true. Because it's not, it's not like put into a recipe in the scriptures that way, right? I mean, think about the gospels. Think about the messages we hear 
we hear about the, the narrative of Jesus and going from here to there and doing this and that. And then we, so we have the four Gospels, then we have the Acts of the Apostles and Paul's letters like, like Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians. And those are written to churches in the context of living out faith. And then we have some other letters in the New Testament. And none of them come out and explicitly say, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in a way of what is true over and against other ideas in the world. But that's precisely what came to be. The Nicene Creed being the first one. And then now we have another creed, which you might know a bit better, the Apostles' Creed. Right? And the Apostles' Creed is one that we tend to use. It's the the most simple form of what it means to be Christian. It's the one we tend to use with baptisms. Because when someone is being baptized, whether it's the parents bringing the infant or someone that is old enough to make their own confession, part of that is to say, this is what I believe to be true. I believe in God the Father and in the Son and in the Spirit over and against other things, right? So maybe we've heard that. You've heard Pastor Aaron, we've done a baptism, Ask people, do you believe in God the Father? Yes, I do. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. And there's some other stuff that goes with it. And that's where this, this creed comes from. So we've got it on the screen. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to confess this together. We're going to read out loud the Apostles' Creed. So I will tell you, if this is your faith, I invite you to profess it boldly. What is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. Yep, go ahead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. There is a lot that we just said right there. To talk about God, the Father, the Creator, the Maker of all things. That's, that's a statement bigger than just the church, folks. That covers everything. Then we talk about Jesus, his only son, our Lord. And it goes on from there and confesses about really the the gospel narrative that Jesus is over and against other things. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. And that covers the life everlasting. That covers the entire narration of the Christian Church from the day of Pentecost and into the afterlife and Christ's return. I mean, there's a lot, a lot there. Now, I'll be the first one to admit that I do not understand most of it. (laughs) Because I don't. This idea that we had, you know, we took three minutes to try to diagram it on the screen is, it's it's beyond our understanding, which is fine. And so I can admit very freely that I don't understand, but I believe it, though. And this is the nature of faith. We don't have to understand everything to say we believe it, to to respond in a way because it's through the Spirit of God in the very first part that we can even respond in faith. So I think I want us to take away, and I would invite you, if if you want to study a bit more on this, I know we've got some some folks that are studying for ministry and such. Luther's, not a small catechism, a small catechism is good, but the large catechism that expands the 
the, the, the three parts here of, of the Apostles' Creed is phenomenal. And it was written many hundred years ago, but it is, it is so very true today for us to talk about how do we as God's people interact with that confession that we make. You notice I asked you, what do you believe? And you responded with, I believe in. The statement of faith. And while we sit here, we do it in this room, and, and I trust that we're all on the same page here for the most part. It's not just meant to be kept in this room, right? This is the important part I want us to take from the Apostles' Creed. Two key pieces. One is that that confession you just made, that unites you with Christians through the centuries, through the millennia, right? Even into the Old Testament. Though they didn't have or see or had not received yet the fullness of Christ and his incarnation and his death and resurrection and then what the church would become, they were looking forward to it, right? They're looking forward as the Old Testament law and prophets would be attesting to God's salvation coming down the road. And then Christ comes and he fulfills it all and he puts the pieces together and he, he ascends as part of the plan and then the Spirit goes forth. And so we here today on this side of the day of Pentecost, we look back to that. But it's all bound together, and we're all united in faith. The communion of saints over the centuries, those that have come before will come after. It's all bound together. So this, this statement is one that unites us with the historical Christian church. That is what we believe to be true, what it means to be a Christian. It unites us with that. Is, is the first thing I want us to, to really own. The second thing is that it is a statement over and against other competing ideas of how salvation works. Now, don't hear that from the standpoint of I want you to run outside and find somebody that believes something different and beat them over the head with what the creed is. That's not the point in the least bit. The point is that we would come to, to, to rest, to, to have a confidence that really is unshakable, a confidence in what we believe so that when those other, other things come and, and compete with, with our ideas of life, when they come and compete with what's important with us, when they come and they tell me what my marriage should or shouldn't be or, or how to raise my kids or what is, what is good or bad or, or who my salvation should rest in, when they come and, and compete with those, that we can stop and use the creed to say, no, wait, that is different than what I'm confessing with the historical Christian church. When someone else comes and says, no, no, it, it's, it's actually, you know, whether it's Jesus or the Spirit, there's just, it's one person. There's not a triune God. No, that, that's inconsistent. It's not, they're not interchangeable from the standpoint of it's just different images, different expressions of one God. It's a triune Godhead. And so we can learn, if we want to, Learn what it is that we do believe so that we can identify those things that are inconsistent for our own faith. And hopefully, when given the opportunity, we can bring consolation in a way to somebody else in need, in a way that's different than other messages out there in the world. Okay, so that's the first one, right? The Apostles' Creed. Historic Christian church and what we believe over and against other ideas in the world. All right, you still with me? Okay, we checking in here, we're good. Do we need to stand up and sit down again? Kind of keep you awake? I should have done that like in the middle of the message, huh? That'd have been a good idea. Let's go, I, I want us to go back now and look because um, part of this is also what, what do we see in the scriptures about where the Godhead is presented? 
And there's a couple really good examples I, I want us to look at. One is from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. So the first we're going to look at is from the very beginning, Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, we have set this up here, so we're not going to read it quite yet, right? We've got the beginning. I mean, literally, in the beginning. And this book, Genesis, is part of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We heard in the video about how important the Torah was, the, the law for, for, the, for Israel, for the nation of Israel. And this is the very beginning of it. And Moses, who, who wrote these, laid this out for his people, that is the nation of Israel, our people. And so it's good for us to look back at this. So I want you to think about where, as we read just a few verses here, where do you see the triune God at work? And so I'll read this for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the, Holy, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And the evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. All right, so did we see it? Did we see the three? All right, so first we have in the beginning God. Well, there's your father, right? And then we're told that and the spirit of God was hovering and then where was the sun? Where was the second? Say it out loud. Can't hear it. Say, and, and what's the second? Where do we see the second part? The light. Okay. Um, what's another name for, if you think about the Gospel of John, how does John start? The Word. Someone said the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God. So in this section here, and God said, the word of God. See, and this gets to the kind of this kind of heady theological stuff. At this point, there is no Jesus. <laughs> Don't take that as heretical. Let me tell you what I mean. There is no Jesus because he has not been born of the Virgin Mary yet and named Jesus. All we have, if you will at the time chronologically in the Old Testament is we have the Father, we have the Spirit, and we know the Spirit hovers, we're told in parts of the Old Testament that the, the Spirit comes to rest like on, on King Saul. It comes to, Spirit of God comes to rest on King Saul. The Spirit of God departs King Saul. The Spirit of God comes to rest on King David. We have that kind of activity, but not everyone in the Old Testament had the Spirit of God residing in them. God was specific about where his Spirit was. But then we have in the Old Testament, the speaking of God, this word and God said, the logos is what it is in the Greek, right? And John helps us in his gospel put these things together. So again, we're getting a bit theological here, which is helpful, but not the full point. So what I want us to see, though, is that from the very beginning, as far as the scriptural revelation has been given to us, in this case from Moses, by the inspiration of the Spirit, we have a triune God being demonstrated being confessed, being shared, and God said. And so all three parts are there. Not in their fullness yet that we have today, that we confess in the creed, but they are all there. The other part I want us to look at, especially from Genesis, is that our God, and this is part of this confession that we could talk about here, 
Our God is a God of order. He is not a God of chaos. He is not a God that leaves things up to chance. He is a God of order. And the reason why I say that is here we have in Genesis 1, as it starts, Genesis 1 and 2, which is before sin ever enters the world, what is God doing? God is creating. He is making out of his wonderful desire something for himself. That is creation. And in creation, as we would read through the rest of that chapter, we would see that he he creates and he forms, then he separates the, the light from the dark, and we have our first day. Then he separates the water from the land, right? He creates all these sorts of things, and he puts a nice orderly package to it, and there are six days, on the seventh day he rested, seven days of creation, night and day. And then we'll go into chapter two in Genesis, and we'll see how God will then create or really describe further the capstone of his creation. You and me, humankind, the man and the woman who were given to be caretakers, to, to live in perfect harmony with their creator in a way that they are there in this creation taking care of things. But folks, there is a tremendous, tremendous sense of, of order to our God. The day and the night is no different than it is today. And there should be order in our lives. And I want us to, so the takeaway from Genesis is we see from the very beginning that there's a triune God at work and revealing himself through his activities, through what he's doing. They're all engaged. They all have roles to play. They might be unique at times, but they're all there and active. And this is consistent all the way through the Old Testament. So again, God is there, triune God from the very beginning. But the second thing is I really, really want us to own this idea that our God is a God of order. I have to confess that over, I reintroduced myself because my wife and I, we've been here, there, and everywhere for um, uh, high school graduations, for weddings on the weekends, and we just have not even been in town. And I just got to tell you, my my life, uh, this weekend is the first weekend we've been home, and I think in four and um, oh, praise God for just being able to sit on my couch for a little while. Right? I also travel for work, and so Monday through Friday, I'm out of town a lot as well. And um, I, my, my life, the last month, feels a lot more chaotic, chaotic than structured and orderly. And there's rhythms in life that, that we can, I think, appreciate and settle in. So, I, I mean, how's your, how's your morning been? <laughs> let alone the last month. I suspect some of you come in here with some pretty, right? Just want, I mean, let's do a, a, a good cleansing breath. Thank you, Father. It's good just to sit. It's good. Life gets busy. Order is a good thing, folks. There's a structure to the Godhead. There is a Father and a Son and a Spirit. There is a structure to creation, day and night, seven days out of the week. There is a structure to the Christian life, which we can rest in, which we're celebrating today, one piece of that. I would encourage you to think about the areas where you can say no, to be honest. Where are you overly engaged? 
I know Carrie and I talk about this. Where can we say no because it's too easy to, to not say anything, which becomes a yes? Or sometimes we just get too busy because we don't want to deal with stuff that's at home, to be honest. I'd rather be somewhere else. I'd rather be at work than at home dealing with my marriage because it's not going too well. It's just easier to not be there. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you, marriage is part of God's order. Adam and Eve are given together. The family is present before the fall. The family is present before the church in today's environment. That is to say, we don't need the church until they sin, right? I mean, they're there in perfect communion. The family is there from the very beginning. So I'm not sure what that means, how that shows up in your life, but again, Old Testament, triune God is there from the beginning, very, very beginning, and he's a God of order, which gives shape to our life. All right, we got that, a couple of takeaways from that one. Still with me? Do we need to stand up and sit down, or no, we're okay still? We're good, all right, I like it, I got some response. All right, next one, we're going to go to the New Testament now. now. This is a section from Matthew that is probably pretty familiar to you, right? We're going to look at this because... We, we talked about this. I know I preached on Matthew 3 and Matthew 11 earlier this year as we looked at John the Baptist as he was the forerunner of what Jesus would bring and who he was and, and how he would, would do his work, right? And so here we have from Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Let me read this for you, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Then this is just after John the Baptist was, was on the scene, and he says, there's one coming more powerful than I, right? And so then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. That's John the Baptist. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, John said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water... The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. All right, so here we are with Matthew chapter 3. Where do we see the triune God? Well, obviously we got Jesus. He's in the story, right? He's there, and he shows up in person. Where do we see the Spirit? Descending like a dove, right? And um, here we go. On the, right, on the right side up there, there's your dove descending, okay? And then where do we see the Father? The voice, yeah. I can, I can probably do that voice pretty well. This is my son. I'm not sure if it's something like that. I don't know. <laughs> so we have all three of them right there again, right? Now look at how this is fitting into the Christian narrative, the Christian life. It's, again, it's not, not very frequent that we have all three participating, Father, Son, and Spirit, explicitly in one text in the Scriptures. But this is another great example in the New Testament, a great example of how what we're looking for, and go back to what I said about the Old Testament, right, that the, the Son, this, the second person of the Trinity, as John tells us, the Word, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So here we are in Matthew after Jesus has been born. Think back to the Apostles' Creed. Born of the Virgin Mary. 
Now, he's not quite suffered under Pontius Pilate yet, right? But we're in the middle of this, and Jesus is coming to be baptized. Don't, don't hear this as our baptism. It's something different. That, what I mean by that is that Jesus is uniquely coming to be anointed for his public ministry, right? What happens with the voice? Just the fact that we have, this is a pretty high point in the scriptures, let's be honest. Just the fact that we have all three of them there, there's something to pay attention to here. And we have, we have the Father saying, this is my son. Here's the marker. He's the one to listen to, remember? We, we talked about how Jesus, then I think after this, he comes on the scene, and he says, the kingdom of God is here. The reigning of God is here. The activity of God's kingdom of restoration, of salvation, of healing, of life eternal is here. And that's what Jesus was doing uniquely. That was his role in all of creation. Nobody else's. His unique role. And so what we're seeing is that, again, going back to this idea of the Trinity, the Old Testament folks didn't have this idea yet. They, Isaiah is probably the best prophet to read, right? About the, the one that's going to come and suffer for everyone else. The, the lamb that will be, that will be sacrificed. And, and they're looking forward to this. And so we now get to sit and confess and witness and celebrate what it is. Because we have the whole story. And so Jesus shows up on the scene saying, yep, here I am. Here I am. And God says, yep, this is my son. And then we have the rest of the message, right? We know the New Testament. We know the rest of not just Matthew's gospel, but then what does the Acts of the Apostles depict? What do Paul's letters describe for us? What does Revelation proclaim? We have that all in its fullness for us to celebrate for us to, to take advantage of, for us to tap into, to see the doubts and the questions that people have and the celebration and the restoration that comes through God. And so I, I want us to, to sit in this place in the New Testament now. In, in Matthew's Gospel, we have the fullness of the revelation of God because we're going to see who Jesus is. That is to say, he has come to be the sacrifice. The Son of God, he claims to be, and when he is, when he is captured and he is before, Pont, before Pontius Pilate, he says nothing other than, here I am. He stands there, and he ultimately is sacrificed upon the cross. He is buried. He dies. He raises again. And then he shows himself to so many, and ultimately he goes, ascends to be with the Father. From thence, this is the creed again. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead, and he will return. And part of his ascending in Acts is that he would then send the Spirit, the day of Pentecost. The Spirit now is acting and going forward, and what happens through the apostles that day that they, they speak, and everyone hears in their native tongue and their native language that we see the Spirit of God uniting and in its fullness bringing the church together, calling those in faith who are, are coming to the Lord. And Peter gives an amazing sermon that day, probably his high point. He didn't embarrass himself too much that day. I think he did a great job. He embarrasses himself other places, but, but there he does a great job. And what shall we do, they cry out to him after his, ser after his sermon. He says, repent and be baptized. And this promise is for you and your children, and your children's children, and for generation upon generation, until Christ returns. And that's where we find ourselves today. 
We're in that now, meaning we know who Jesus is. We know that he is the resurrected son of God and his death has been claimed worthy for the sacrifice. That the spirit of God has been given, the counselor, the comforter is here with us residing in every believer as God offers. But we're also in this not yet. We're in the not yet of sin still has its day today. I struggle every day with a life of faith. I have questions, and if you look around and just pay attention to the world, there are questions that are raised because how could a loving God let that happen? The only answer we're ever going to get, folks, is that God loves you more than any you would ever imagine. He sent his son for you. When you have those doubts, look to the cross of Christ. So the kids are coming back. Triune Trinity Sunday. Do we have maybe a little better idea of what that confession is? I want you to listen one more time to the Apostles' Creed. Listen for the bits and pieces. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's a huge statement from the very beginning. And in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He rose again from the dead. He ascended to be with the Father, and from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That is an amazing statement of who our God is. And by virtue of who our God is, who we in turn are. And it makes a difference every day. I pray that just one thing today you can take away, whether it's a matter of the creed connects us, and what we do here every Sunday connects us with the Christian church for millennia. We are participating in God's salvation history until Christ returns. And not just for our own benefit, but over and against in support of to clarify what we believe to be true in the world so we can take it forth. The triune God is present from the very beginning of our scriptural revelation. The very beginning of history, that is to say, as we know it. And that triune God goes forward increasing the revelation. That is to say, then in the New Testament through the Incarnation, we see who Jesus is. We see the full understanding of what God does for salvation of his people, and we can rest in that. And not just so that we look back and say, that's a nice story, but so we participate in it today. We're going to celebrate one of these things, one of, one of the things our God of structure does. He gave us a meal. He gave us something that we can come and celebrate together. This isn't just you and your family, like you're like Carrie and I today. Well, it is. But it's not just me and Carrie. It's not just the family here at Oikos alone. In fact, it's not even just the Christian church today around the world that is celebrating this meal together. 
As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, as often as you eat and drink this meal, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. And so we are participating with this salvation history, which goes back to the very, very beginning. What a joyous occasion. It's also, though, a right time to stop and be reconciled. We had a time earlier already this morning to pray, and and I pray that you got some stuff off your chest, because God wants to hear it. We had our cleansing breath. God loves you. God knows the things that you won't share with anybody else. Say them to him. Find somebody trusted that you can be honest with. Then your MCs and your huddles. Be honest about your struggles. It's an amazing freedom that our God of salvation offers to each one of us to celebrate the actual forgiveness of sins in a way that takes them away from us and restores us each and every day. If you need a little extra moment this morning just to do that, just take another minute to pray. God hears your prayers. He hears them all. When you're ready, then you can come celebrate the meal with your family, with your triune God who offers salvation. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the revelation which you have given to us about who you are, Father, Son, and Spirit. We thank you that on this day, along with the entirety of the Christian church, we can celebrate our triune God who is is majestic, is beyond creation, and yet is intimate and comes to us in small, quiet moments, who Father, you see it good to bestow your spirit to reside in us as your children, as your family, who you desire and you give us these meals, Father, to nourish that spirit in us. Father, help us this day, though we may not understand, help us to have great, great confidence in the revelation that you have given to your people, to your church over the years, so that we We can rest in it, and not only rest in it, but also go forth, Father, to proclaim who Christ is for us, that by your Spirit you would prepare hearts to hear that message, and that you would prepare our hearts to be bold in the opportunity to share that. Father, we pray for the Christian church around the world, for those Christians who suffer persecution this day, that you would bring consolation and peace to their very real situations, no matter where they are, that you would bring them an opportunity to rest, Father, in you. We pray for your message to go forward. Father, this day we pray for government, that you would guide and direct all, Father, that your good purposes would be bestowed upon the the people of this land. Father, we pray for families. We pray for broken marriages this day, that you would bring restoration, hope, for those, Father, where, where the brokenness is, is a divorce, is maybe the best answer of a very difficult situation, Father, bring consolation. For children who are affected, for those that are missing their parents and don't even know their parents, we Father, we, Father, we pray that you would bring comfort and peace to each and every situation. 
Father, you are the creator, the redeemer, the sanctifier of all. And in you, we give all glory and praise. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.